0: This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to yet another episode in the Oz Movie Geek Halloween Spooktacular. I'm your host, Paddo, and today I'll be doing a review of David Bruckner's 2022 reboot of the Hellraiser franchise, uh, a franchise that I'm honestly not a big fan of. I understand that the first two films are quite enjoyable, and to be honest, I can find enjoyment especially in the first one, and I do own the first two films on Blu-ray, but I haven't ever... Gone back and revisited them. Uh, I've seen the first one once and that was only five years ago. Uh, and I saw Hellbound um, Hellraiser 2 back in 2019, I think it was. Uh, so it's been a couple of years since I revisited them. And I understand the love for the franchise and I understand the love for Clive Barker's source material. But It's just never been something that I have ever really connected with, and I guess the disconnect coming from the fact that I'm not a big torture porn fan. Now, I understand that the original films aren't as torture-focused, but they do have quite graphic blood and gore effects, and... I will enjoy a film even if it is gory, if the story is good and, you know, that there are some fun elements, uh, which sounds sadistic for me to even mention. But if I'm going to compare it to anything, I guess the Saw franchise is the, the one to compare it to in terms of gore. Uh, and the Saw franchise is something that I've always been able to get behind, mainly because I enjoyed that first film so much. Uh, and as absurd as the franchise gets, there is still enjoyment to be had. Uh, with Hellraiser, it a lot of the time just feels like it's gross-out body horror for the sake of being gross-out body horror. However, I've always enjoyed the idea of Pinhead uh, and the Cenobites. They're a cool design, they're a cool idea, and the whole premise behind Hellraiser is interesting if done right. I've seen my fair share of uh, bad... Hellraiser sequels, I guess. Um, I, I did see Revelations and Judgment out of pure curiosity um, back in 2019 as well. But outside of that, I, I've missed films like Hellraiser Inferno, the Scott Derrickson-directed one, Hellworld, World, Deader. I've missed all of these films. So uh, I'm not as familiar with some of the lesser um, sequels or the middling sequels in the franchise. Uh, I checked out Revelations because everyone always says that's the worst one. So Out of pure curiosity, I checked it out, Uh, and yeah, it's not fantastic. It was a rights-retention movie, and it clearly shows, especially with a budget of like $200,000. But yeah, I was keen to see this one, mainly because of David Bruckner's uh, involvement. He is one of the best filmmakers working today, and he's three from three for me. I really enjoyed this film. I enjoyed The Night House, and I really liked The Ritual Um, All three of these films have a distinct style, and I really like the way that he uses the camera. Um, He sets up scares quite well uh, using wide-angled shots. Uh, There's a lot of that here. Um, Some of the Cenobites' appearances here um, in, in certain sequences are quite terrifying. And, yeah, overall I just had an enjoyable time with this, which was something I wasn't really expecting. So with all of that said, let's get stuck into this one. So Take It Away Trailer. Beautiful, isn't it? It's really nice. You can hold it. What is it? It's a puzzle. And it's almost finished. Keep going. So, if I solve it, do I get a prize? I do. Six sides, six configurations. It opens up, and it cuts you. And then they come to collect. So, Hellraiser twenty twenty two was directed by David Bruckner, based on a screenplay by Ben Collins, David Escoyer, Clive Barker's original story, obviously, and Luke Uh and the film's well, well it stars uh, Odessa Azani, um, or is a- Azan? A- a- I hope I'm saying that correctly. I butcher names all the time. Uh, Jamie Clayton, Adam Fieson, uh Drew Starkey. Uh, Brandon Flynn from 13 Reasons Why, Aoife uh, Hines, Jason Lyles, and Yinka all, uh, Um And, yeah, essentially is a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware of its purpose. Um, and, yeah, essentially Cenobites and the priest uh, end up wreaking havoc on this poor woman's life. Uh, and, yeah, that's the general premise. It's it's a pretty faithful adaptation from my understanding to Clive Barker's original story. Uh, and, yeah, it it, it is a, a worthy redoing of the original because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of that original film and it, it definitely left a bit to be desired, I guess, and... Yeah, I, I think they do a really good job here. I think that main performance by Odessa Azan, uh, uh, we'll call her Riley because that's the character's name. I think that she was really good here. Uh, and David Bruckner knows how to use these actors. They all do a really good job. Uh, I wish that the roles had have been swapped between Adam Fares on and Brennan Flynn because I'm a big Brennan Flynn fan. I think he's quite a good actor. Uh, If you go back to Stranger Things, uh, as bad as seasons two, three, and four really are, uh, he's the best part of them as Justin. Um, Always really enjoyed that performance. And I feel that if you swap those performances around in this film in particular, Brennan Flynn could have really offered something. Uh, Though I did enjoy his relationship earlier on with Riley. You see the back and forth and how... Yeah, the addiction that uh, Riley is going through has really affected um, their, their relationship and what's going on between them. So essentially Trevor, uh, played by Drew Starkey, is uh, dating Riley. Um, and Brennan Flynn brings up some interesting conversations earlier on in the film, makes a really valid point. Uh, she's a part of like a Pathways program um, to obviously get her off uh, the, the drugs that she's addicted to. And there's a sequence where uh, he asks her, he just says, like, I, I, I'm, I'm confused as to how this relationship is working. Like, is he taking advantage of you? Like, he, he's dating someone that he's met in a Pathways program. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, he comes across as sort of a bit of a scumbag and potentially using Riley. So when it's revealed later in the film, mild spoiler alert, uh, that he was actually behind the whole uh, puzzle box and, and um, her coming across it Uh, whilst he has a bit of a change of heart during the the film yeah he's not a good person so when that question's raised earlier on it kind of makes sense and I I really enjoyed uh, that I I guess that question being asked because it's something that the audience thinks and it's David Bruckner understanding that the audience does have problems with certain plot holes so I really enjoyed that um, the standout of this film is Jamie Clayton as the priest because Doug Bradley's performance as Pinhead is iconic. It's uh, iconic. It's really like the the pinnacle of a horror villain and that design has always been so creepy and I think that the team have done such a good job of bringing the priest or Pinhead back to life and I really enjoyed her performance. She's genuinely creepy uh, when she delivers some of the iconic dialogue, like we have such sh- uh, sights to show you uh, that classic line that's revealed at the end of the film as we see uh, the villain, I guess, of the film, um, played by Goran Bishnik, um who plays Voight. And uh, he's essentially like an occult collector and he's the original, um, I guess, finder or, um, I guess, occupant of the of the puzzle box. And he's been trying to get people to unlock it um, as he attempts to to reach that final stage of the puzzle box, so he gets an audience with the um, with a god, I guess, is what he's promised. And um, after some some wrongdoings and, and some issues that have happened along the way, he finds himself kind of like um, stuck in between worlds or dimensions, as as the Cenobites have got a hold of him. And there's like a big mechanical. Thing protruding through his chest, and it's slowly peeling away his flesh. It's really disgusting. But the the idea that this man is sort of like on earth, uh, never to die, but rather being tortured um, as he as he goes through his life, and he obviously can't leave his house with this huge thing stuck in the middle of his chest. He's sort of relegated to his huge estate. um You know, woe with him, right? The the rich suffering, but I enjoyed that whole aspect of the film and I think that the use of uh, that visual style from David Bruckner really does elevate the material because I guess his style um, and the use of location um, beautiful sets like real sets um, is just it elevates the material and it makes some of the sequences genuinely like chilling. There's one of the Cenobites that, that makes this chattering town um, sound with like his, his teeth and uh, that, that creature design is freaky. It actually looked more like a Resident Evil villain than what we saw on that Resident Evil TV show from earlier this year. So uh, I really enjoyed that, though. I, I thought that that was all really well handled. And the CGI that is used is used sparingly. Um, and we get some yeah, great shots uh, where um, you know people become or fall victim to the Cenobites and we get this uh, great scene in the back of a, a ute um, or a van as the characters are all arguing with each other, and one of them's been stabbed by the puzzle box, and once you're stabbed by the puzzle box, you're sort of like next on the on the agenda, or or, or next to die as part of the ritual. And um, we see that person who's been stabbed by the puzzle box sort of taken um, into the the hell world or or the other dimension as such, where they're dealt their fate. Um, and that sequence was really well helmed because she's stuck in between worlds where we're seeing what she's seeing kind of thing but they're seeing it from a, a practical standpoint of of our world. Um, So um, our, our main character, Riley, is looking in the revision mirror and then gets a glimpse of what she's actually seeing and sees the priest and the Cenobites as this woman's being tortured and she's essentially killed um, and we get like a, a blood splutter. But yeah, really gruesome and graphic stuff but not to the point where I felt ill. There was a couple of moments where it did sort of rub me the wrong way. Um, I didn't really like the creation of Voight as a Cenobite at the end of the film um, it is, is actually disgusting and it sort of made me turn away because I was like, ah, I don't really want to see that. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that we haven't really seen before um, or, or not with these modern, really good-looking special effects. And I, I, I don't know if it's in any of those middle chapters of the Hellraiser franchise, but I thought that that was all really, really interesting whilst also being foul and disgusting. But yeah, there, there's some really great use of uh, practical effects here. A lot of the blood splatter and, and whatnot is all practical from what I could tell. If it was CGI, it definitely doesn't look like CGI. Um, but yeah, I think that Fox and Hulu made the right decision to release this one to streaming. but just want to say that hulu is just killing it at the moment um not just hulu just fox in general with their horror releases um you know the last couple of years we've had films like the night house uh, empty man uh antlers uh barbarian now this uh with hellraiser and and other films like fresh and and even prey to a certain extent i guess falls in that genre too they're just absolutely killing it just fantastic films and You know, people talk about Blumhouse and A24, but at the moment, Fox is right up there for me, that they're doing some really good stuff. And I know that Hulu is a subsidiary of Fox and solely focuses on the streaming platform stuff. But yeah, some really, really solid stuff here. Um, Hellraiser is a little difficult to watch here in Australia. Uh, It's getting split between multiple streaming services, from what I understand Uh, A lot of Hulu products end up releasing on Disney Plus here in Australia, but um, from what I understand, uh, I watched it on Binge, which is a a subsidiary of of HBO Max in Australia. Uh, It got split between that and Paramount Plus, where it's releasing on Halloween on like October 29th or something, so just prior to Halloween, so... Yeah, very strange stuff with rights issues here with uh, Hulu-related products and and, and films and television shows and whatnot. It's split between like Amazon, Binge and Paramount Plus apparently. So don't know what the go is there, but uh, if you're looking to stream it before the end of October, then the place to watch it is Binge here in Australia, just so you know. And over in the States, it's on Hulu. Uh, but yeah going back to the film itself um, the the setting was really interesting too because a lot of it is uh, at night time it's all taking place over just a couple of days so I appreciate that too I've always been a fan of horror films that are sort of isolated to a specific point in time um, rather than you know to over a certain period of time where you don't really know what or how long it's been and that can be a bit of an issue for me, but I I really like in this film that it is specifically over that couple of days, because I think if you drag it out a bit more, it sort of loses a bit of that urgency, uh, which is a big part of what's going on, I guess, because by the time that everyone sort of catches up with, Hey, like what's going on? What's this? By the time we all catch up with that, it's, it's sort of like, you know, heading towards the third act of the film. And whilst the film goes for two hours, it does breeze by. I was actually quite surprised. Um, I had to pause it at one stage um, <laughs> to go and get myself a snack. But, yeah, it, it breezes right by, which is really refreshing as well. Uh, a lot of these films, especially horror films, you know, if they're not a, a tight 90 minutes, then you're, you're looking at your watch and starting to get fidgety where, yeah, I, I felt myself just like fully invested and on board with what I was watching. And I really appreciate the, the care and time. Um, taken to really establish the law more so than anything because the characters are disposable. Um, but I guess that's the biggest criticism outside of Riley, who you can kind of relate to, even though she isn't a really nice person, um, even though she's going through addiction and, and whatnot. I, my, my go-to is always Jane Levy's character from The Evil Dead in 2013. Uh, she's uh, at least relatable in the sense that you kind of get on board with what's going on and you really feel for her because it emphasizes her addiction. We don't really get that here with Riley. It's sort of kind of breezed over and I guess it's because she's in the process of recovering. Um, but it would have been better, I think, if we saw her leading up until that point. And I know that stretches out the runtime and maybe that's what David Gordon Green's doing with his Hellraiser TV series that's currently in development. I have no idea. I don't know if that's still on the cards. I guess they were maybe amping off the success of this because it's a different studio. Uh, but, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. And maybe uh, if you had to focus on that a bit more in the first act, it would make me connect with her story and what's going on a little more because my biggest complaint is the characters. They're all completely disposable. Uh, and some of the performances are a little weaker um, I, I didn't particularly like the the way that uh, Trevor is played by Drew Starkey. I also thought Adam Faison or Faison as Colin was also a little weaker. Um, and I think if you had a you know you can have those actors in there still, um, but maybe flush out their characters a little more. Uh, like I said, I, I thought that um, the I guess reveal with Trevor in the third act it felt a little weak to me. Um, it felt. Not out of character, because like I said, I feel like we were leading that way with him. I just thought that the way that it was revealed, it was kind of like, really? You know, you could have done a bit better there. But yeah, at the same time, I guess that's not really the point. I guess if they're trying to re-establish this as a potential franchise, um, we need to look at, you know, does it do a good job at establishing the world? Yes, it does. Does it do a good job of providing explanation to the law? Yeah, it does. So... I feel like if this is the first entry in a new uh, chapter, I guess well, it's a reboot or redo. It's a complete redo. It's not amping off any of those terrible Hellraiser sequels or even paying tribute to the original as such as a sequel or a legacy sequel. It's a complete redo. Um, and I'm completely fine with that. I, I think that this film did get Clive Barker's blessing. Um, from what I understand, I think he was a producer of the film, so I, I think that's that's great um Clive Barker I'm not as familiar with his horror works I guess if I had to to say am I a Stephen King or a, or a Clive Barker fan I'm a I'm a Stephen King fan um I'm familiar with uh stories like the Midnight Meat Train and even Rawhead Rex which I actually own on Blu-ray yeah I own Rawhead Rex which is pretty pretty wild because it's a terrible film but it's hilarious uh but yeah I'm, I'm not as familiar with Clive Barker's uh, uh works as such uh, I definitely want to delve more into it and I guess the the inspiration for Hellraiser has always been of interest to me because I know it's really highly regarded in horror um, I guess literature but it's just something that I've never really really gotten behind but yeah I I appreciate this film for what it does Uh, David Bruckner continues to be a a terrific filmmaker Um, just the way that he uses practical effects in itself Um, you know if he's got People that help him, like David Escoya, for instance, craft these stories. Then I'm completely fine with that. I just wish the characters were a little stronger here. But yeah, Hellraiser 2022 is a definite improvement over some of those awful sequels and even the original films. If I had to say what my favorite entry in the franchise is now, it would be this. And like I said, I haven't had the best track record with that franchise. But at the same time, I've I found myself to really, you know, just get behind this story. Uh, But yeah, that's Hellraiser 2022. Definitely check it out. Like I said, if you're here in Australia, it's streaming currently on Binge. Uh, But if you're over in the States or over in the UK, I don't know if you've got Hulu, but that's where it is everywhere else. Um, I think it's playing in a limited theatrical release in some countries too. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Yeah, but that brings this episode to a close, guys. So thank you again for joining me on another episode in the Halloween Spooktacular. I'm having a lot of fun recording these podcasts and you'll notice that a lot of these reviews have been recent releases, but... We've been lucky this time of year where we've actually received a lot of good Halloween pictures. So look forward to more reviews coming at you shortly. Make sure you check out the ones that are already live currently. I've done films like, or even TV shows like The Midnight Club, uh, The Gift, The Wolfman. Um, I've also tackled Hocus Pocus 2, and uh, mr harrigan's phone so yeah look forward to more reviews coming at you shortly Uh, if you have any suggestions you can message me at ozmoviegeek on facebook instagram and twitter or you can send me an email ozmoviegeek at gmail.com that's ozmoviegeek at gmail.com love your work guys and appreciate your support but until next time peace out